Thank you for listening to this podcast produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, artist William Kentridge discusses his practice and creative processes ahead of the major exhibition titled William Kentridge, That Which We Do Not Remember at the Art Gallery of South Australia. This exhibition traces the arc of Kentridge's 30-year career and is supported by principal exhibition partner and lender Naomi Milgram AO. This is William Kentridge in uh, looking down on the canal in Kaisergracht in Amsterdam where we're about to perform The Head and the Load, which we will bring to the Sydney Festival in 2021. I think since the Dadaists in the now nineteen sixteen performance has become part of the language available to visual artists. One can also think of performance as a kind of sculpture vivant or a moving kinetic sculpture in which the movement, the look of the uh, performer is a vital part. One I think of it as a kind of drawing drawing in movement. So animation is one kind of movement in drawing where you change the drawing frame by frame. But the movement of an actor in front of a screen or in front of a theatre space or in front of a blank wall is also a kind of drawing in movement. And it becomes a drawing when the impulse behind it is the impulse of drawing. That is discovering what the final piece will be through the activity of making it, whether it is a charcoal drawing or the movement of a dancer. The exhibition and the collection from Naomi Milgram is a very good collection and has, I'm very happy with the choice of works that she's made. But for the exhibition, we've augmented that with different pieces from, uh, from the studio. So things like she has a, the large drawing, the central drawing from the uh, Melia's series of films. And uh, what we're showing are the series of films as well to make sense of the of the drawing. But it's also a manageable scale of uh, exhibition and project. It gives a wide range of the different kinds of activities I have in the studio, from straight drawing to printmaking, to the animation, to larger video installations. And so people seeing it do get an overview of the work done in the studio. And that is about multiplicity in the studio. It's about the migration of images from one form to another. It's using the kind of collages which are normal in a studio as a way of showing the way we do make collages of the world outside all the time. Or the world is a collage which we construct into an an impression of coherence and stability. And this which is the standard practice of every artist in a studio becomes a demonstration of processes which outside of the studio are often invisible. The one thing that's impossible is trying to predict what people should take. There's no should about it. There's no intention that this is what they have to take. That would assume a clear knowledge in advance of what is going to be there. Once the work is up and there, I hope there's an openness of viewers. Um, For me, it becomes a demonstration of how we construct the world around us or of histories, but that's not to say that's a take-home message that people need to have. The films and the project to make are always made without a script or a storyboard. In other words, there isn't an end envisaged right at the beginning which has a program in it of what people are meant to feel or believe. Because what one's left with if you start with that kind of intention is really just the instruction, listen to me. 
and it's not that kind of instruction that I'm that I'm interested in. The work when it works best is there to try to make me not answer questions, but discover the questions themselves. What is the rela- our relationship to fate? How do we think we can avoid it when we know we're never going to avoid it? Uh, what's the relationship between private anguish and a destructive fury projected outside into the world? Uh, these would be impulses behind the first image in a drawing, but they're certainly not a take-home message that I'm giving to anyone. Maybe the exhibition could be titled There Is No Take-Home Message. Has my childhood and life in South Africa informed the practice? It has, I think, in many different ways. The one is that it gives a central place to the absurd. Not the absurd as the foolish or the humorous, as one has it in the English Anglo-Saxon tradition, but the absurd is a description of the world where logic has gone awry and what one is left with is a system where there's a fundamental flaw which is carried through to the nth degree. This would be a description of how apartheid worked, which was what I grew up in South Africa. So that contradiction, paradox and the absurd are not sitting at the margins, as they're often thought to be, mistakes in a coherent system, but rather important things that give a clue to understanding the central question and the central nature of the society one's looking at. Johannesburg also is a city which erases itself. The hills around which our old mine tailings get reprocessed. And there's a sense in which animation, which is about erasure and redrawing, comes out of that city itself. So I'd never thought of it that, oh, Johannesburg taught me animation, but realizing I've spent 60 years there and spent a lot of time on the instability of an image in uh, animation, there is a connection that is there. Being the children, uh, the child of lawyers, was also important in becoming someone whose process, while ultimately looking at questions of responsibility or guilt, does it from a very different perspective of the Cartesian legal way of thinking. The practice is kind of wide. Everything starts as a drawing in one form or another. And sometimes the drawing stays as a drawing very often. Sometimes the drawing gets erased and adjusted under the camera and becomes a, a drawing in, two, you know, in three dimensions, that is to say length and breadth going through time. And sometimes those projections are used in theatre productions, in which case it becomes a drawing in four dimensions, the length, the breadth, the depth of the stage and the passage uh, through time. So even the opera productions I think of as a four-dimensional drawing rather than as a separate activity. And very often there's a transformation from one medium, an image will migrate from an etching into an animation, into a drawing, into a tapestry. And it's difficult at the end to say which is the primary one, which is the core one. A film can be made to produce a suite of drawings, which are then exhibited, or the drawings are drawings made in the service of the narrative demands of the film or the piece of theatre. Uh, the sculptures often start off as two-dimensional shadows which then get extruded to give them a weight, but sometimes the sculptures also give a clue to movement of a performer in a dance, the way a, an object can be circled and transformed from one image to another as you turn the sculpture through 90 degrees. It gives a clue of a kind of transformation also that an actor or a dancer can make on the stage. So if one had to link them all, it would be the studio where the rehearsals happen, where the drawings are made, where the sculptures are made, and where the writing is done. They could all kind of be pasted up against the wall of the studio. And in the exhibition in Adelaide, there's a room of the studio which 
doesn't recreate my studio in Johannesburg at all, but which gives a sense of the excess of making that happens in the studio. The creative process, I would say, is about an openness to recognition. So one obviously starts with an idea, but then when you work on it, whether with an actor or on a sheet of paper as you're drawing it, new ideas start to emerge from the sides, from the margins. And very often these marginal notes or peripheral th thoughts, like a kind of peripheral vision, alert you to things you should be focusing on in the main question. And so it's an openness to doubt for uncertainty and a strong place left for recognizing something you didn't know that you knew before. In 2019, I'm working on a new animated film, which is part of a continuity stretching back to 30 years to 1989, when the first of the Soho Eckstein films was begun. And this is the 11th in the series, so that's a kind of a long-term continuity using the same processes and techniques. It has changed that this time for the first time. I'm filming digitally rather than on 35mm film or 16mm film, but the process of drawing erasure, drawing erasure is unchanged. But I'm also working on a small opera project, Waiting for the Sibyl, which is a one-act piece, but which uses a group of singers and two dancers, as well as projections. And that's very much about a human drawing. And often using the human drawing as a graphic medium in looking at the shadows cast by people as they approach a light source or retreat from it, and revolve and turn and bend forwards and backwards that elements they're wearing or carrying shift from being almost invisible to being a huge circle across the sky or a, a human mobile that's in movement. The studio is bigger than it was 20 years ago in the sense that there are more technical people who can help make sculptures and make things happen. Of necessity, there's a larger administrative staff dealing with the unfortunately growing size of the number of works to be catalogued, databased, photographs sent to catalogues and museums. There's more time spent answering questions like these than there certainly was 20 or 30 years ago, which as you can imagine is both something I'm grateful for, but also a curse. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. William Kentridge, That Which We Do Not Remember, will be on display at the Art Gallery of South Australia from 6th of July until the 8th of September 2019.